everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 110 of the show, which means that if we were Strange Tales, we would be guest featuring the first appearance of Doctor Strange. Whoa, we're at Doctor Strange level. Yeah, but we're not Strange Tales. I mean, we are pretty strange. We do do tales of Marvel madness, but... We could finally get our hands fixed. Yeah, because, you know, being in the bad car accident and stuff. Yeah. But we are here to finish up the month of November 1965 with four comics for your delightful entertainment. Those are Tales of Suspense 74, The Avengers 24, The Fantastic Four 47, and Amazing Spider-Man 33. Oh, shoot. I read the wrong thing. Oh, no. No, I'm kidding. You know, there are multiple Fantastic Four 47s and Amazing Spider-Man 33s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's but, and, and even more Avengers 24s. But not in 1965. Not so 1965. We stick to that year. We're good. So I was um, reading the Doctor Who annual while you were rebooting. Mm-hmm. Need to get out of that and get back over to my Make Ours Marvel <laughs> comics. So we are at Tales of Suspense 74, which has a fan-friggin-tastic cover. Yeah. Captain America and the combined sleeper machine and the earth blowing up behind him. The final sleep. It's great. It's Kirby awesome. It really is. That's a pose that they use a lot in advertising, I think. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that pose many, many, many times on shirts and frisbees and whatever else. Well, we're going to, before we get to the final sleep of Captain America, we're going to the Invincible Iron Man. If this guilt be mine... Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Tony. <laughs> Face front. It's rollicking resume time. Last ish, we saw the Black Knight abduct a desperately ill Happy Hogan from his hospital room, using him as bait for a deadly trap in which to catch Iron Man. But though the great Golden Avenger broke the trap, saving his captive friend, the price of that victory came high, perhaps too high for our hero to pay. The story as only the fabulous Stan Lee can tell it, art as only the fantastic Adam Austin can draw it, inking as only the flamboyant Gary Michaels can delineate it, and lettering as only the frantic Artie Simic can scribble it. Artie cannot catch a friggin' break. Last episode, every single issue had an Artie slam. Yeah, let's see if they give him a good one this time. Except for Sugar Lips, but that was just weird. I think that was a slam. Felt like a slam, but I don't know. You know, if somebody called me Sugar Lips, I'd like, I feel like it was a come on. Well, there's that too, but it just seemed like all the other dudes got really masculine, masculine n- nicknames on that one, and he didn't. So I don't know. So Iron Man yeah. is passed out on the floor of the castle where he saved Happy last issue. He is um, needing a recharge. He's running out of life. Um, he, let's see, he makes a phone call. To Pepper Potts, Iron Man calling, need help. Come to this address, Valley Road Drive. So she gets in her car. She drives out to the castle on Valley Road Drive. She sees Iron Man with his antenna sticking out of his shoulder. Hasn't done that in a while. Um, she grabs him, even though he is a full-grown man <laughs> encased in metal. She just drags him to his car because uh, Pepper works out. Mama Bear strong. Right. She gets him to uh, the nearest factory. They hook him up to um, 
the car, not the car, the battery inside the factory. He recharges until he doesn't need recharge. Where he's like, whew, all better. And uh, he doesn't actually get a full charge. He gets just enough to not die. So he charges for like 30 minutes. And he's like, it's going to have to be enough. My head will clear in a minute. So then the phone calls and Pepper's like, oh, maybe that's finally the boss calling. But no, it is Senator Byrd looking for Tony Stark. I'm through discussing. I'm coming to New York armed with a subpoena. I'll have you dragged back to Washington if I have to. So um, he needs Iron Man in Washington to present himself and answer for his Iron Man-ness. Meanwhile, Happy Hogan is in surgery, um, being placed under Tony Stark's untested innervator device. Supposed to innervate him and give him energy in his mind and bring him back to life. But instead, what it does is it puts him through an extremely cartoonish transformation into an overbrowed, bald freak. And I actually kind of avoid using that word a lot of times, but that's what mm. they call him here. He is the capital yep. F freak. Yep. So um, he is basically uh, Frankenstein's monster. He comes to life. He rages. He breaks stuff. Iron Man gets there. They're able to punch each other out without, without you know, batting an eye. He escapes from the hospital. Tony Stark goes after him. He's like, oh, no, this is Happy Hogan. How am I going to hurt him when, you know, stop him without hurting him or whatever? And that's uh, the cliffhanger ending. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do this every issue, but he's still new. So, you know, gushing over the art still. It's pretty awesome. It is really fantastic. That opening splash yeah. page with him just lying there half dead. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. So something that occurred to me that I never appreciated about Pepper was that she kind of was the opposite of the cliche of the girl who likes the superhero but hates the man. Mm-hmm. Like she liked the man and hated Iron Man. She did. But now she does not. She, and she actually has a thought process. We actually get inside Pepper's mm-hmm. head. Yeah. And even though it's just explaining her romantic interests, which is not the best way to use a female character, at least it's fleshing out. That part mm-hmm. of her personality. Yeah, she's now thinking that Tony's been a jerk this whole time because of the way she's he's treated happy. And really, Iron Man has been the one who's risking his life all the time, and she's never appreciated it. And also, Iron Man's not allowed to reveal his identity because of the evil Tony Stark who wants to take all the credit. So poor Iron Man is a real hero, and she never knew that before. So yeah, she's flipped the script, basically. Um, she does have a somewhat funny bubble that just kind of got me thinking. I was a fool. It must have been the glamour about him, his wealth, position, his movie star looks. Now, let's mm-hmm. think about Tony Stark's looks. And have you ever watched the young stand-up comic, Bo Burnham? I do not think so. He has this one thing he does where he's like, he's going into a bit and he's like, sometimes I just try to like, you know, put random English words together that have never been put in this order before, like, you know, peanut butter capacitor or... Um, <laughs> Yeah. He runs through some phrases. They start becoming comedic phrases. And one of them is, you know, um, I wasn't sure if I should trust him with my child, but then I saw his mustache. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, Pepper, you love him. With well, the movie star good looks. He's very Errol. What is that guy's name? Errol Flynn? Yeah, I think so. But that's like 20, 40 years ago. So. I mean, I've got a pretty, you know, large mustache now. I'm actually mm-hmm. getting to the point where I'm actually kind of proud of it. That's kind of the mustache I wanted as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect anybody else to like it. <laughs> yeah. It's furry. Um, but anyways, 
It's interesting that they rock the mustache, but I think like you said before, like like Tony or uh, Stan was just trying to make like the character that just nobody would like, and so adding a mustache probably helped with that. What well, also just to really I mean, just to really challenge us? Yeah, facial hair <laughs> in a time when facial hair was considered verboten. Yeah, the um, the mustache was just like this is just a touch of rebel in me. Um, page four. Okay, mm-hmm. if he's in there, if he's still alive, I'll make it up to him. I'll find some way to make him forgive me for distrusting him in the past, for a thing that he was trying to harm Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Whoever he may really be, whatever features are hidden behind his mask, whatever identity that my, Mighty Armor conceals, it's Iron Man I love. I realize it at last. Whew, she is fast. Yeah. I also don't like it. No. We've seen how sweet she and Happy are on each other. Oh, that too. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I'm kind I of chill with her ditching for to- ditching Tony for Iron Man. That that part, you know, it's cool. There's dramatic irony, but like, yeah, she and Happy were becoming a thing. Yeah, and he's in his freaking deathbed. Right, and one of the reasons that she's mad at Tony Stark is for not giving Happy enough attention. Right. So I also just don't like, and I know it's just the '60s and romance comics and all. I don't like when they proclaim their love so quickly. Like she could have just ended it with, "I should think about. I should consider him as a better person." From here on out and leave it at that. But now it's mm-hmm. like, no, I proclaim that I love him and realize it at last. It's like, okay, calm down a little bit. I've been watching Dark Shadows, which aired mm-hmm. in 19, which premiered in 1965. Uh-huh. And um, the melodrama in the show is not this, you know, stilted, but there's a tie in novel that I just finished and it definitely was. So I wonder okay. if this is just yeah. kind of the trope of romance fiction of the day. Oh, sure. I, sp- I assumed if we were reading all these romance comics that we're skipping every month, they would just be all that. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying to throw that in there as, you know, real world things. But this yeah. is real world 1964 fiction. So not very nuanced, I guess. I forgot to mention that while she's driving Iron Man, he does plug into the cigarette lighter. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, huh. I never think about that for 1965. That there's a cigarette lighter? Well, that you would use it to like use it as a charging device yeah um you, you know what else i was thinking about sure, right? i know we always talk about the mcu and i don't know why because i guess we should because whatever because they're awesome and stuff but you know that was one element it just occurred to me my wife and i just watched them all in a row all the mcu movies not like in one sitting but you know within the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. um and it occurred to me that they never did the charging thing much in iron man like that's a big element in our iron man right now right and, like, other than the first movie where, like, what's-his-name takes the thing out of his chest and he almost dies from that because there's just nothing that's powering him. But, like, he doesn't ever have the struggle of, like, in the middle of fighting Ultron, he has to go plug in somewhere for a little while. Well, right. theoretically, that device in his chest is actually a power source. Right. He doesn't have to charge in because it's not just a battery storing power. It's actually generating power. And right. And I, f- I feel like at some point Iron Man's going to transition to that where he actually has – Yes. Power in his suit. Yeah. I'm kind of glad they ignored it. I just never really thought about it before. But like in these stories that we read, like that is his big crux all the time is Mm -hmm. where to get power to show his humanity that he just needs this plug. That's that's his color yellow. That's his. Uh (laughs) And I was going to say that's his Thor 60 seconds thing. But I just remember realized that we haven't actually used that problem very much in Thor lately. No, because we don't really have a lot of. uh, What's his face lately? Don Blake. Yeah. All right. Um, 
The teaser box says we have a turning point next issue. So we're going to have to see if that's anything close to true. I didn't have anything about the freak except that what I said no. earlier, it's very, very cartoony. I don't really like it. Yeah, it was kind of boring. And it was like an odd side effect to have for an untested medical device that it can turn someone into like a super soldier just randomly. That's kind of weird. Yeah, but even if they just gave him, even if it gave him random strength and, you know, switched his id and his ego by a little bit, turning him into the physical monster was just mm -hmm. bizarre. This is a Tony invention too, right? Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the invention was, it's but he was all worried. Innovator. An innovator. So we don't know what that means, really. We no. don't even know what's wrong with Happy, really, do we? No. I mean, he got hurt in the in the fight, I thought, from Titanium Man. Uh-huh. But, like, uh, what, how is he dying? And, like, it looks like the beam is just being shot on his head. It's like a light flashlight beam or something. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. It's all kind of funky. But that's all right. Whatever. Well, I think it's time to get past that funky cold Medina and get on to some other <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, Captain America throws his mighty shield. The sleeper will sleep in a grassy, soft little field. No. Yeah. Um, after a daring leap to Earth from the back of the second deadly sleeper, Captain America races to the nearest NATO installation to offer his skill, strength, and life, if need be, to combat the Red Skull's inhuman creations. This is the final sleep. Uh, it is blazing story, Stan Lee, burning layouts, Jack Kirby, blistering artwork, George Tuska. So Tuska is the main artist here. He's just using Kirby layouts and burnt out lettering, Artie Simic. Mm -hmm. We are, of course, in Germany. So this is uh, a NATO base in Germany where he finds um, English speaking soldiers. He just like jumps the wall and runs across the courtyard and all kinds of soldiers are hollering at him to stop trying to arrest him. What's this guy doing? The general comes out. It's like, you know, all of you on your feet, all of you, 10 hut report. And Captain America's like, you know, I guess I could have um, just talked to people, but you know, there's, there's a problem. And he tells them all about the sleepers. Meanwhile, the, uh, the combination of the two sleepers, the Robbie, the robot and the um, Rodan wings, they're flying over, <laughs> blasting uh, the ground, blasting the villages, tearing stuff up. Uh, third person. No, this is not one of the third three people. This is just a random guy who recognizes the sleeper and realizes that this is for the rebirth of the Third Reich. He gets out and does a Heil Hitler figuring that Red Skull's sleepers won't harm an ex-Nazi. Guess what they do? They totally <laughs> harm the ex-Nazi. <laughs> Um, he gets blasted in the middle of a Ziegheil. So uh, Captain America is talking to the officers. He draws the pictures of the sleepers. His robot is super cute. <laughs> they get a bunch of tanks and uh, weapons and artillery out on the wheel on the on the on the road to go after the sleepers. They're fighting with them. Meanwhile, in a slumbering town not too far away, the third Nazi agent, after patiently waiting for two decades, is about to complete the Red Skull's master plan. He goes to a statural of Generic Frederick von Berholt, or Uberholt, I'm not sure, I don't know this name. Uh, he pushes a couple of buttons on the thing, and um, a Red Skull head machine comes out of the ground, bursting forth from the rock and lands right on top of the other sleeper where there was a ring so it is now a single combined uh 
you know, Power Ranger machine and it starts flying over and destroying stuff. And Captain America fears the worst. He's like, if, if this thing really gets going, you know, it's going to destroy everything. It could, it could, um, you know, blow enough holes in the world to get all the way down to the core and drop a bomb down there that would ignite the planet. And it'd be Ragnarok or Gult or Damarung or whatever it is that he says. And I've got to stop it. So fly over it and drop me. So they fly over the sleeper and they drop Captain America. He lands on the thing. He blow torches the side of its head until it stops responding and stops shooting. And he figures he's blown out the circuits and it falls into the ocean and Captain America parachutes to safety. And now the world is once again safe. Boy. So like we started the sleeper thing and I remember being all like giddy and rubbing my hands together and thinking, oh, the sleeper. That's cool. I remember I like the sleeper. And then the first story is like set up. Okay, cool, cool setup. Next story is like set up. Okay, cool, cool setup. And the last story is like Cap puts on a parachute and kills it with a blowtorch. And I'm just like, hmm, hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's a different sleeper story. I'm because <laughs> <laughs> that kind of ended really fast. <laughs> it did feel a little rushed at the end. It's almost yeah. like it's almost like they didn't know what to do with the sleeper now that they had it. Yeah, exactly. And just and then, just the rampaging robots was the point. And it's like, dude, what he did is not is you could have. I well, I don't know. I was gonna say, couldn't you just have a plane fly out there and shoot a missile at it or something? Like, what's the difference? But I guess the thing was probably zapping all the missiles out of the sky and all the planes out of the sky. So just tiny little cap in a parachute somehow managed to get on there without being zapped out of the sky. Mm-hmm. So that's probably it. But like, I don't know. It just seemed really like lackluster that this big three-part Voltron sleeper thing gets taken out by a cap and a blowtorch, you know? But honestly, the fact that it can be taken out with a blowtorch is really viable for me. Like, mm-hmm. it is just a machine. So mm-hmm. if you can get to its innards and melt the control circuits or whatever it is controlling this thing, I mean, yeah. the idea that this thing is following a program after it was developed in the 1940s is a little bit crazy, but I'm sure yeah. they had programmed robots in comics back in the 40s, too. Yeah, and I guess no one said, like, you know, Skull's like, I have this great plan. He's like, oh, I don't know, man. In 40 years, there's going to be Thor. Yeah. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. But We need to um, we need to talk about the Red Skull's plan. <laughs> okay. So it's World War II, right? Right. Germany's doing pretty well. They're conquering Europe. They're fighting. Mm-hmm. They're missing. But the Red Skull's like, yeah, but what if we lose? Right. So he plants three destructive robots. Uh-huh. To awaken 20 years later and destroy the human race. Right. But the weird thing is, they're not even set to awaken automatically. He has left agents behind with special instructions just in case the Nazis lose and just in case the Red Skull is around to do this himself. Okay, in 1965, you're going to push these buttons to revive mm-hmm. the Third Reich. Only not really, because they're going to kill you. <laughs> It's all very Hellboy, isn't it? Right. I'm just saying it's a weird plan. It could have easily not happened at all. And also, like we said last time we talked, covered this, bury it in Paris and London and in America or something. Not not Germany. Why are you starting there to kill all your own people? Right. That is weird. Yeah. It's very weird. Although his whole plan is to blow up the whole world. It's like, I guess if we can't have it, you can't either. Although that's just Cap's suspicion. We don't know if that's actually what it's trying to do. That's true. It is It is just a guess. There's a lot going on guesswork here. Um, in fact, they point that out. 
How can you be sure that was Red Skull's intention? I can't be sure, but it's possible. And I mean, he's right. It's, it's a giant robot laying waste to the landscape. They've got to stop it regardless. That's really pulled out of kind of like, I don't know, left field. He's just going on and on about it. it's heading towards, uh, uh, you know, the ice caps and it's going to uh, it's going to get into the interior heat itself of the planet Earth and cause a chain reaction and explode. It's like, really? Are we sure? That's that's really OK. I wonder how many amazing stories issues he read mm-hmm. as a kid. It's like it might just be flying to, to the U.S. to bomb it or something. We don't know. Right. Um, Steve draws. Yes, he does. So, as far as I know, he never like doodled in the golden age. I don't. Right? Yeah, I don't think. I don't so. think so. So, and we know in the future he'll become an artist. You know, as a day job for a while, and that's like a thing he does. And then they incorporate that in the MCU, like showing him drawing monkeys and stuff like, or himself as a monkey and stuff like that. But it's like I think this might be the first doodling. I don't know. Kind of cool. It, it's a neat landmark if it is. Yeah. Um, and they're they're probably very very quick sketches, mm-hmm. but in a very very quick sketch, he can do things pretty uh, pretty realistic looking. And I mean, he's got some practice drawing. Yeah, it's cool. It is good. Uh, Lee and Kirby really like to show the notion that Nazism just doesn't honor its own people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's exclusive to them, but they sure do like to blow up the loyal Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, he does it in Sergeant Fury a lot. He did it in the Captain America past tense stories. Yeah. I think I've asked that before, and I don't know that I can think of many examples of like like Nazism portrayed from the point of view of Germany and like any stories where people thought they were doing the right thing or sacrificing themselves to save their brothers, just like we all have these stories on our end, you know? Like we always seem to paint them as villains, of course, but like, you know – some of them must have been human beings who took bullets for their friends or, or you know, I don't know. You're right. That is not a very common story. I can't think of any time it's done in comics. The closest no. I can think of actually of ever having seen it at all is The Man of the High Castle. Do you know that story? Oh, I've heard of it. I don't think I saw it. Well, it's a, it's a riff because it's the 1960s America that lost World War II. And so Nazi... Oh, Government that's is, that series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of your uh, characters are involved with the Nazi regime in this alt history, but it does deal with, you know, Nazis who are loyal to the Fuhrer and, you know, they're wanting to do the right thing for their empire, that sort of thing. I mean, let's face it, they make a great villain, so I'm not, like, complaining necessarily. But, you know, there must have been some people who thought they were doing right or, you know, suffered – the war on their end Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But it's always just this one dimensional guy. Like, yeah, we're going to take over the world. And that guy gets blown up for his troubles. So that's kind of funny. I especially like the guy in the car who gets out and the thing just, and the thing just like blasts him. Whoops. Oh, well, he won't hurt an ex Nazi. Yes, he will. I think like the last couple stories, they sort of just alluded to the idea that these people were being blown up, but this one straight up just gets blown up. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Yep. And I like at the end, Captain America jumps out of the plane and goes towards the um, Red Skull. But then he can't find purchase. He can't find a way to land. I'm like, he's like, victory, victory. Oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. (laughs) Right? Yeah. He needs some uh, jetpack there. A jetpack would be handy. But yeah, that's Captain America. That's the end of his first arc. That's his first arc and the first of what will be, I know, more sleeper stories. So 
Cool. <laughs> I, I I liked it. I think it was not a bad first adventure. I feel like we need a little more heart, and I uh, think we're going to start getting that pretty soon. He needs some. He needs a uh, colorful cast of supporting characters. He does. He so. needs people in his life. He needs people. He needs a life. But yeah, this was a cool little foot in the door. So should we go back to the future? Okay, that's me. Shoot. Not only the future, but I think a different planet, right? I don't know. I forgot. But it's called From the Ashes of Defeat, Avengers number 24. Uh, Oh, they don't give us a cool recap thing, so let's just skip right to the credits. Proudly presented by Marvel's prolific purveyors of peerless pageantry, Stan Lee, writer, Don Heck, penciler, Dick Ayers, inker, Artie Simek, letterer, kind of chokes you up, doesn't it? Well, they weren't mean to him. Not this time. Um, So, yeah, basically, like, King pulls the Avengers into the future and I can't remember why and he totally defeats them and he le- he's in love with this lady who's like the queen of this empire and he's like marry me or else and she said no so now he's all upset and he has his war you know Thanos minions like attack the city that's pretty much a recap horrible recap sorry but anyway so he's just standing there going ha 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 and by the way, remember that whole part where like they enlarged Cap Shield to fight against him? Well, it's back to normal now, and I don't know why. But anyway, um, yeah, so they're like, let's take out Kang. And he presses a button, and he disappears. And Cap's like, no, no, don't. let's not go after Kang. That's a waste of time. That's what he wants us to do. Let's like fortify the city. And her uh, – what's her name? I don't even remember her name. But what's her name? Ravana. Ravana's – like men, uh, 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 you know, chief of staffs are like, we should just surrender. We can't take this on. And then Cap does this Captain America Cap speeches, and they're like, okay, you've made us uh, lose face, so we're just going to help you because you're awesome. And even Hawkeye's like, wow, I totally actually want to follow him right now. This is weird. It's like a superpower. Um, so the one thing the city does have is this cool, like, Hogwarts force field thing. They put that up, and they immediately get bombarded by uh, – you know, cannons and stuff from King's military that are outside the the city limits. Um, but he has a thing that shoots delta rays that goes right through the shield and it blows up the thing that like creates the shield. Um, Quicksilver's like running around trying to help people on the city. He sees a lady with a baby. Uh, the delta waves create such a shock that she almost dies. Um, and he like saves her, but he gets knocked out and she feels bad. So she takes him home. That gets them separated. Meanwhile, the rest of the Avengers and the rest of the military and Ravana are all like holed up in her throne room. And Cap's like, we could still fight, you know, but like basically the city's been taken. And it's just this last little bit of freedom they have left. They attack the throne room. The Avengers try their best, but ultimately get defeated um, and put in prison. And Kang's now ruling the city. And they're like, well, first thing you should do is kill the queen, right? His generals are asking this. And she's like, um, I love her, though, and I can't imagine killing her. And they're like, you actually have a good part of your heart? We never knew that or we never would have followed you. Also, come to think of it, it's our armies that took over this city. What did you do? You just stood around being blue-faced and stuff. So he's like, hell, you can try and attack me if you want, but I wouldn't recommend it. And they're like, okay, we'll try. So they attack him. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. So he uses his, like, superior technology to get away, to run and flee. He decides, you know what I need? I need some Avengers help. So he goes to the prison. He lets them all out. And Cap's like, hey, if you promise to leave this city after we help you, I'll help you. And Kang's like, okay, that's cool because I basically just don't want her to die. 
Um, so Cap and Kang and Hawkeye do like ninja stuff and slowly try and make their way back to the throne room. They knock out dudes left and right with judo chops and stuff. Um, then they all conglomerate there with all her men. <sighs> what happens? Uh, then they start fighting. Yeah, that's right. So like the general guys are, uh, you know, in the throne room and they, you know, make explosions and they attack and Captain America says Avengers and Kang assemble and they all go crazy. Kang goes off on his own, though, to get like his own superior technology, which ends up being like a button he could press that makes all of the his generals like equipment and tanks and guns and stuff all explode all at the same time. So that's very handy. And while he's doing that, the Avengers mop up the rest of them or try and take out the throne room. And as they go in there to try and mop up the rest of them, turns out Quicksilver had woken up and beat them to it because he took them all out. And he's just sitting there looking all like, you know, smexy and stuff. And everybody's like, yay, Quicksilver. We wondered where you went. Um, so Kang and Cap have a little talk and they say, OK, yeah, I agree. I don't like you and I don't like you either. Next time we fight, it's going to be to the death. But right now, you know, fair is fair. And Cap's like, yeah, and by the way, uh, Queen Lady, he really does like you, just so you know, in case you care. And so Kang's like sending them back to their regular Earth of 1964. But as uh, as the transporter beam kicks on and they start to phase away, that general, that mean general, comes out of the closet and basically shoots uh, Ravina in the back, Ravana in the back. And King's like, no. And like everybody shoots the general down. All of King's soldiers shoot the general down. The Avengers go home and they're like, gee, I wonder whatever happened to King and Ravana. We don't really know. And we see the last of King is holding Ravana in his arms and saying, oh, no, it's too late, my love. And she's like, perhaps it was just as well, my lord. Ugh. The end. All right. All right. So this is the second half of the, I mean, to me, the first really big King story. I know yeah, this, be, was, like, this is first, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really uses the time travel element. It introduces the Ravana idea, which to me is kind of part and parcel with Kang. Mm-hmm. Um, my first exposure to Kang that I can remember was the um, the annual event where they had the Citizen Kang backup story that like talked about Kang's entire history mm-hmm. over the course of several annual backup issues. And I had one chapter of that. Um, I think it was the the annual where like Captain America fought Gilgamesh or something, or anyways. Um, so Ravana, like you know, being there and being this like unrequited love that he's trying to help survive, mm-hmm. and she is introduced here, and we don't quite see her get to that point or see how that particular story element comes you know to its full place, but it's it's um yeah it's important. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed it. Um... It was kind of fun to see Kang and Avengers work together for something. Yeah. Even though that was all his evil doing. But it's weird. Like my first exposure to Kang uh, was my same as my first exposure to Captain America. So in some ways, in some weird, you know, Michael personal life story ways, like I connected to, even though they're not really super connected. But like I learned about Cap because my mom got me a uh, Secret Wars Cap action figure. And she got my brother Kang on the same day because it was Easter. And we got hey, presents. Hey. And so it's like, I didn't know who either of them were. And I've always thought King looked really cool, but I don't really have a lot of association with like necessarily great King stories. But mm-hmm. but this was not, not bad. Way better than that first appearance. Yeah. Um, it's really, really wordy. So I do have a little yes. bit of trouble getting through it. Mm-hmm. But we really need to get used to that because once Roy Thomas picks up this book, it's yeah. 
going to be so verbose. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And There's a lot going on. And it's, again, one of those instances where I do think sometimes the dialogue and the captions are really carrying the weight <laughs> versus the imagery. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. I mean, we're talking about a war. I mean, this city in one issue gets overthrown and then re-overthrown. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a pretty full plot. And the characters yeah. all have stuff to do. And Quicksilver even has like a little side arc that he has going on. Yeah, side or. Quicksilver gets disappeared and everybody worries about him and then he's just fine. And yeah, it's just all like, wow, it was just really heavy, but, but it was cool. So I feel like, okay, so Captain America showed up at the end of last issue Mm -hmm. and Hawkeye, while Captain America was not on the team, Hawkeye was like, man, I miss Captain America. I wish he could be here. I didn't realize I was such a jerk to him. Captain America gets there. He's like, thanks, winghead. We'd never have guessed. (laughs) I feel like Wanda probably called everyone over hey we don't want to lose him again all right so the top of the next page captain america's words make me proud to be an avenger you tell him steve arena i always knew you couldn't be a whole hundred percent square it is strange never has he seemed more confident that's like all right all right guys i i like the thought bubble later is like son of a gun he's getting drunk with power but i kind of like him this way <laughs> more hawkeye Hawkeye likes Saddam. Hawkeye likes Saddam, yeah. He likes someone who's assertive, I guess. So, okay. Page 10, they refer to the modern era as the age of unreason. I know. I noticed that. That's funny. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) They're not wrong. I want them to be. No. They're really not. They're not. (laughs) The entire human race has like three brain cells right now. Yeah, I mean, actually, I do want them to be right because that means in the future, hopefully, there's more hope for us. But oh, yeah. although I don't know about this future, but well, this future is farther down the road. Hopefully, we get to a better spot before yes. we get to Kang ruling over us. <laughs> right? Maybe Kang's a good ruler. We don't know. We never see that. That's true. It's true. I mean, what's wrong with Kang ruling? Is that is he bad? Like, does he tax a lot or something? What does he do? It's just like my thing with Star Wars. What does the Empire do that's bad? I don't know. Oh, we, we just know they are. Yeah. I've read a lot of stories about how the Empire is bad, so I've got a pretty fleshed out. But they don't do it out in the movies. Right. They don't do it in the movies. We don't see, like, too much taxation or, you know, whatever, slavery and stuff like much. So, page 10, all the Avengers are held before Kang. Captain America says, do what you want with us. But I ask that the girl be spared. Promise that, and I shall give you my word. He's like, no, Steve. I'm an Avenger, too. I'll share the Avengers' face. He's like, quiet, Wanda. I have not yet given up my position as leader. I wonder uh. if he was like, okay, obviously the way it's written, he's just being a jerk. But yes. I want to think he was like, he was like setting her up for something. He's trying to like put her in a position where she could use her power. Cause she says at the beginning, she's like, I haven't used my power yet. I just, uh-huh. you know, storing it up so it'll be stronger later. So he's going to like let her do that, but then it didn't work out. You know, it's funny you say that because I had that exact same thought. Like, I knew it was just bad sexism writing, but I was like, that would have been cool if it was some sort of plan on his part to get Wanda separated and so she could do stuff. But it didn't go anywhere. No, and the idea of her storing up her power and letting it be more powerful later has never been mentioned before. Or since, hopefully. But yeah. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I really liked Quicksilver with the woman on page 11. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that he really, really wants to save the uh, others. He can't do it. He doesn't have the energy. He's sick or hurt or something. But he's determined to go help if he can. I am very impressed with and have forgotten apparently that how much Quicksilver is an Avenger. Like he has been drinking the Kool-Aid since he joined the team Mm -hmm. 
pretty much. Like there was a couple moments in the very beginning where he and Hawkeye fought over who should be leader arrogantly, but he's like, you know, he's just like Cap was when Cap first started in Avengers 4. Like, hey, that's not how Avengers talk. And hey, if you're an Avenger, you do this. And he's totally like that, especially in this scene. Like, you know, I got to save them. I got to get up. Only my speed can help them. And Avengers assemble. It's up to me. Yeah. Well, remember, we kind of, you know, filled in some of the gaps with headcanon. But remember whenever they were leaving the um, the Brotherhood, mm-hmm. Wanda was finally ready to leave and felt like, you know, their debt had been paid. And mm-hmm. Pietro jumped at the chance because he was only staying because she felt like they should stay. But mm-hmm. then once they're off on their own, the idea of coming to the Avenger was his idea. Yes. And In he fact, she of, didn't want to do it. No, she didn't. He kind of forced her into it. Yeah. He's like, well, listen, we did that whole brotherhood thing because of you. So let's try Avengers because of me. So the fact that he's all gung-ho on it and really wants to be a part of it, his mm-hmm. wanting to lead the team is a little much. But um, he hasn't he hasn't really said that since though. That was like just a one one off yeah, or something. A little bit in the early days. Now he kind of supports Cap and tells Hawkeye to stuff it most of the time. But uh, I don't know. Quicksilver just doesn't really has never struck me as a joiner type. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of surprised that he's so Mister Avenger. But I like it. I like it too. Um, I think it's only going to go away because of like suffering racism and stuff from humans. He's going to realize how untrustworthy humans are. But yeah, that's that's too a ways down the road. Yeah. Um, I really like how the uh, the turns have tabled on page 12 when uh, Kang's lieutenants turn against him. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you associate with evil. Yep. But I like that they, like, they first have this inkling of, of a revolution, be- you know, because he, like, won't kill the current royalty that they just took over. Right. It's kind of like Namor and Susan. They're like, no, you mm-hmm. got to kill her. He's like, I don't want to kill her. I want to marry her. You can't marry yeah. her. She's royalty. It's like it's a rule. Any conquered monarchs have to be slain. You've always done that. And That's like, how yeah, all the stories work. But I'm not going to do that. Not this but time. I, that also shows that Kang has at least a little heart somewhere, somewhere deep down in there behind that yeah. purple tunic or um, green tunic. Ravana is an interesting person. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit of a cipher. You really have to read as much as you can into the few lines that she has. Mm-hmm. But I did mention last time how she does come off as ruthless as Kang. On occasion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just, you know, from Kang, she would like some kindness, especially if Kang's going to try to suit, try to, uh, um, suit her. That's not the word. Court her? Court her. Yeah. If she's going to try to court her, then, you know, they can be, you know, they can be powerful leaders together, but he should at least be nice to her. And so on page 15, whenever he says something nice to her, she's like, oh, that's the kindness in his voice that I was waiting for. I feel like a little bit of her uh, fire disappeared in this story because I feel like last issue she had a lot more like toying with him and playing with him and pushing at his buttons. Mm-hmm. And yes, she did want some kindness from him and she wasn't going to just hook up with him. But I do feel like there was some like, I don't know if it was flirting, but some sort of connection in some way. I don't yeah. know. And this one, she's just more of like, oh gosh, my kingdom's being destroyed. And then they shoot her. She didn't have a lot of lines, I guess. Well, as I was describing her, I realized that all of that was in last issue. There's not a whole lot. There's even less to her in this issue. Unfortunately, they just don't give her a lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like the whole waiting for my power to charge up, it gets a payoff on page 18. But I just kind of feel like that was Stan Lee writing in an excuse for why Don Heck didn't draw her fighting. <laughs> right. That could be. You always have to wonder these things. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, she has never said that before or since, as far as I know. 
I mean, it's a mutant power. Why does she need to charge? And the scripting at the end is really kind of clumsy. Um, the last Ravana page? already, yeah, the last page with Ravana uh-huh. and nothing must harm you. I realized at last I do truly love Ravana. She already knew her feelings for him. Mm-hmm. She just was upset that he wasn't being a good person to her. Oh, I see. Yeah. And here it's like, oh, I finally realized. No, no, no. That's just that's just clumsy. That's forgetting what you've already done in previous stories. Yeah. She should have said something like, I finally can love you or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I did like the last panel of the issue, though. That was kind of a cute little effect of seeing present day Avengers through the TV screen of a future TV. Uh, that is that is a present day TV. Oh, you're right. That is a present day because it's. I forgot to mention that this is a mysterious uh, bad guy looking at them. Do you want to play Guess the Shadow? <sighs> I think I looked it up and now I forgot what I cheated. Was it Doctor Doom? No. Mm. It was, uh, I don't know. I forget. Okay. I, th- I think I did cheat and look it up and then I totally forgot. So, so much for spoilers for this brain. Doesn't even retain anything. Um, well, Ravana, like I said earlier, does go on to basically be Vanessa from the Deadpool 2 movie. She's just this woman that he's going to pine after that has no actual agency. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah. I actually have never heard of her before, so I guess she's never made much of an impression for me. If you watch the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon, I oh. think they have her in that. She's basically just suspended in a cylinder. She's this uh, suspended animation woman that King is like loving. Okay, you made me think my brain was dumb, but I actually was right. It is Doctor Doom. You. All right. I, I, well, you say you didn't know. You so son of a gun. I was you son say, of a gun. Mm, could be, but I said enough to could be. <laughs> yeah, it's Doctor Doom. It's Doctor Doom. It's probably Doctor Doom. Which is a pretty cool so Avengers twenty five villain. Yeah, because they've never fought Doctor Doom before. Has he no. crossed over with anybody? Spider Man. Spider Man. Yep. But that's it. No other and team. He's he's going to Daredevil cheat has on crossed Fantastic over Four. into the Fantastic Four against Doctor Doom, and so has Ant Man. Ant and so has Ant Man. But he's always like been so exclusive to the FF team, and now he's going to go Avengers. Whoa! Ooh. All right, feeling fantastic. Um. Yes. Yeah, speaking of. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Fantastic Four forty seven. Um, all of these comics I didn't say were released on November 11th, but that's okay. Um, this one is called Beware the Hidden Land, the fabulous FF Enter and Incredible World of Wonders. The Inhumans have escaped to their hidden great refuge. The mysterious seeker has permitted Dragon Man to smash his way to freedom. The FF are about to pursue him when they suddenly realize they can't leave Triton, you know, suffocating there on the ground, so they gotta take care of him. Attention, Pulitzer Prize Committee, Story, Stan Lee, Art, Jack Kirby, inking, Joe Sinnott, lettering, Art Simic. All right. So Triton was left behind by all the other Inhumans, um, and he needs water to breathe. So Sue puts a, um, a force field around him, and then opens a hole in the force field, and Reed Richards puts a hose on the force field to fill it up with water. <laughs> And then Triton is in this, like, Susan Storm force field bubble in the water so he can finally breathe. The Seeker is there. He's like, remember, he's still a prisoner. Glad he's alive, though. And um, we have to go back to live in the Great Refuge. We are ordered by Maximus the Magnificent, whom we are just hearing of for the first time. Meanwhile, in a studio apartment in the heart of New York, a lonely blind sculptress sits wrapped in her melancholy thoughts. Uh, and while she's sitting there, the dragon man, the thing, and the human torch are flying right toward his w- her window. They bash their way through. She is freaking out. The thing gets away from dragon man and claws his way into the apartment. 
Dragon Man crashes in through the ceiling. Um, they keep fighting, basically wrecking the entire upper portion of the apartment building. But don't worry, it'll all be fixed in a couple of issues. Uh, the Human Torch is there. He starts blasting at the um, at Dragon Man. They, Dragon Man falls off of the apartment building in the middle of Manhattan and lands in a forest. So I guess they're really close to Central Park. Um, we then change scene back to the Seeker's Haven, where they transfer Triton from Susan's bubble of water into a science tube of water, which is great because Susan was really tired of holding all that water pressure together. Um, the Fantastic Four go with the Seeker. The uh, other Inhumans show up. Uh, Lockjaw has transported them to uh, a place, a mysterious, huge, Kirby galactic place mm-hmm. um, where they meet Maximus the Magnificent, a dude with a really tall crown, not just tall above his head, but also it goes long down the sides of his head and below his head. It's mm-hmm. it's a pretty elaborate hat. Um, so let's see. Maximus is like, oh no, Black Bolt's gone too far. He's returned from exile. One of his helpers is like, dude, we've got to hide the new weapon from his sight. The one's going to conquer the in- all the humans. He's like, fine, get the Alpha Primitives to do it. Um, and to delay Black Bolt until it's it's hidden. So the Alpha Primitives go. They're these sort of mindless ones. Maybe they're faceless ones. Maybe they're moloids. You know, they're one of those guys. Mm-hmm. The Alpha Primitives, they go and stop the the um, the Inhumans. They fight Black Bolt, they fight Medusa, they fight Karnak. And then Maximus shows up and says, stop fighting. Maximus is here. His Atmo gun is now safely hidden from Black Bolt. Um, Maximus is like, okay, Medusa, now that Gorkin has brought you back to me, it's time for us to get ready for our wedding. And Gorkin's like, wait a second, what? Medusa, if I had known that's what he was planning, I wouldn't have. Believe me. She's like, fine, whatever. Maximus is king. I have to marry him. Um, Black Bolt is rather upset. Maximus says, stand back. Black Bolt reaches over and just grabs the crown right off of Maximus's head and puts it on himself. And Maximus is like, oh, yeah, that, that's fine. I, I was just holding the crown while you were gone. You can, you can totally be king. Look, it's Black Bolt the king. I want to long live the king. So the Fantastic Four are flying in a plane trying to find where the hidden civilization of Inhumans is. And Susan Storm realizes this is going to be a great time to do her hair. (laughs) She figures if no one can Uh. talk, if Reed Richards can't talk to her and show her attention and uh, respect her, she's going to give herself a new do and uh, that'll get Reed's attention. So, yeah. Makes sense. (sighs) While they're flying, they see a flying dude outside their uh, plane. Like, hey, dudes can't normally fly. We must be near a place of inhumans. So they look down. Hey, look, it's a city. There's the Great Refuge. We found it. So they land their plane. Susan Storm is invisible. They disembark. And they're like, wait a second. Where's Sue? Sue, let's call for Sue. And Susan Storm is sitting on a rock. She turns invisible. And she has the exact same hairstyle she had back in issue one. She's like, hey, look at my new hairstyle. And they're like, what? Your new hairstyle? What a time it is for that. (sighs) Anyways, (laughs) so using Reed Richards' stretchy ability, they go from their higher place of standing to stretch their way down to the great refuge beneath. Um, They all kind of fall to the ground, but they fall safely. Uh, Crystal and Medusa are talking to 
Maximus, they look on the TV wall screen. They see that Triton is still safe. The Seeker has brought him and kept him safe. Um, the Fantastic Four into the Great Refuge. Crystal sees them. Johnny, I love you. Johnny says, Crystal, I love you. Let's get married. No, um, Black Bolt separates them because he does not trust the humans around Crystal. Um, hmm. There's lots of little stuff. Anyways, okay, mm-hmm. so while the Fantastic Four and the Inhumans are kind of talking things out, figuring out what they're going to do with their lives, Black Bolt goes off and talks to the Seeker. They have the Atmo gun all ready to do to go, and he's like, with one stroke, I will doom mankind, and once the mankind is killed, I will rule the Inhumans, and we will inherit the Earth. Thus, the fateful button is pressed, and one of the most startlingly spectacular sagas of all time awaits you next issue. To learn how truly magnificent a magazine can be, you must not dare to miss it. Enough said. So, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like so many shifts of direction happened going into this issue. Uh, I'm trying, because, like, this is my first, you know... Official Inhumans first appearance read through on this, and I'm like, so I'm like, all oh, okay, cool, Inhumans. Let's learn about the Inhumans, and I keep trying to like reconcile the three stories we've read so far and put some sort of narrative on it. Uh huh. And it's like, what's going on? I don't quite understand exactly what's happening. Kind Gorgon of. went out to find Medusa. Okay, yeah, I remember that part. But he brought Medusa back to the Inhuman family, and Even they though- were. Even though, according to this story, he was going to bring her back to the to black to the Maximus guy to the Maximus guy to marry, even though he's like, "Oh, I didn't know that's what he wanted to do to you." Sorry. And they were hiding from the seeker who was yes. seeking out Inhumans to bring back to the Great Refuge. But it feels like they knew they were coming back, and Maximus was just keeping the throne warm. That was the other weird thing. Like he takes back the throne so easily, like. They all just end up in a room with him all by themselves, so he has no guards or anything, and he's just like, oh, I can't fight Black Bolt here. Yeah, I just was going to give you this crown the whole time. So, like, Um, why were they hiding? Do they say here that Black Bolt and Maximus are brothers? Yes. Okay. So, I feel like Maximus, once he has the crown, feels like he's going to have the ability to stay king. I don't think Maximus is ever really playing with a full deck. He's got a couple of cans short of a six-pack. It's making, a, yeah, I don't know. It's just really weird. Why were they hiding? I don't understand. Yeah. This is what I've kind of been wondering about the whole time is because I know we get to this point, but I couldn't remember how the story transitioned. And I guess the reason I couldn't remember is because it, it really doesn't. It's it doesn't. one story and then it becomes another story. Right. So that's not great. But no. being where we are, You know, this is the setup of the Inhumans that I know. Maximus wants to be king. Black Bolt really is king. Um, Medusa loves Black Bolt. Um, She does not want to marry Maximus. I forgot that Maximus even wanted to marry her. Um, So here's what should have happened. Or maybe what really is happening, and they're just not explaining it correctly. But Gorgon should have went, got Medusa, brought her back to Crown Guy. I forget his name already. Black whatever. Maximus or Black Bolt? Maximus. Maximus. Brought her back to Maximus to marry. She doesn't want to marry. Black Bolt and his group of Inhumans who are hiding out because his mm-hmm. brother has overthrown the throne and is hunting them decide to go rescue her. And when they rescue her, they take back the throne. That would have made more sense. But none of that's really happening, is it? 
I don't can know. We pre- can we pretend that it happened that way? Yeah, it seems more logical or straightforward, right? I don't know. I was just reading this going like, wow, he just handed the crown right over. And that was like drama that fiddled and died or, you know, piddled and died and went nowhere, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think my favorite part of this issue was the hairstyle scene. Is that bad? <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> awful. It's just all over the place and weird. I don't know. And why is, you know, and Dragon Man just seems like this thing that happened that they had to deal with and then gone. I don't know. It's like they're just throwing a lot of stuff into a pot. And it's kind of making me sad because we were on such a great run of FF here. Yeah. And now it's kind of blah a little bit. But Well, see, I really like the Inhumans. I really like this dynamic. It's just I think it was not set up nearly as well as it could have been. Mm-hmm. I don't um, think they thought it through. I think they're just making it up as they go along or something. Well, one thing is, is that Kirby has been trickling out the ideas each issue. And I don't uh-huh. know if that's because he didn't want to overload the reader or if it's because he didn't have them all. Um, right. When, when we met the Seeker, we didn't know whom he was working for or why he was hunting in humans. Now we find out Maximus is his commander, a.k.a. his king. Um, <laughs> right. So we had, I think last issue, I was wondering if that Seeker guy was even an Inhuman, but apparently that's been answered. He is. He is an Inhuman, yep. Because they all are. Because they're working for the official human government. Inhuman government. Right. As it, as it is. So, yeah. But we don't get, like, powers from them. No, not, not everybody that is in the Inhuman story is given a power. Um, so does that mean all Inhumans aren't necessarily power? Are these Inhumans that we like, like the mutant Inhumans? Or something. Most of them uh, just look like generic white guys. There's no Tritons or or Lockjaws or whatever. And that does change over time with storytelling. I can't remember how it lands. I don't think that the transformation is only reserved for royalty, but I could be wrong. Oh, that would make sense, though. Except does that mean Triton and Crystal and all these people are related to Black Bolt? Actually, yeah, this is the royal family. They're all cousins okay. and sisters. Oh, and okay. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. Well, that actually makes sense then. Maybe if they go that way. Um, they mention here that Black Bolt left because of an injury to his voice. Yes. They don't say how. Oh, they say his brother did it, right? Yeah, uh-huh. an, an injury took his voice. That's why he can't talk. Right. I don't think that stays canon. But he's just born that way. I think, or at least it develops at that point whenever, because there's a specific transition that an inhuman goes through to get their powers. Mm-hmm. And it might have been when that happened that he could, you know, the first time he spoke. I mean, because the thing is, he can talk. It just, he, just, it just destroys solar systems. Right. But he can talk. He can talk. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if there is a specific event that gets kind of substituted here that does stay canon. Um mm. But yeah, the effect that an injury took his voice, I don't think that stays canon. Right. Um, okay, I was not I was joking a little, but and you're right, it's all just kind of sexist and groaning. But I have to say about the hairstyle scene, mm-hmm. I did appreciate that Sue and Johnny had some time together because I realized that that just doesn't happen very much in this book. And they're brother and sister. And I really liked the part where he said, Hey, it's cool that it's covering your face. I thought that was funny and it made me laugh. You're right. I agree. They have a nice little, you know, snarky dynamic. It's uh-huh. very common of siblings. Yeah. We haven't had them being siblings since Human Torch. <laughs> since Strange Tales, really. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But that's like a relationship dynamic that they shouldn't ignore, maybe. I don't know. Because there we, is have, a lot- we, have, we have Ben and Reed, the best friends. We have 
Ben, or we have uh, Johnny and Reed, who are now brother-in-laws, right? Mm-hmm. And we have uh, Sue and Reed, who are married. And we should have Sue and Johnny, who are our brother and sister. Right. There needs yeah. to be that dynamic there. And it doesn't yeah, get yeah. seen very much. Yeah. But yeah, the whole thing with, with her hair. So <sighs> yeah, the idea of her wanting to do it in the middle of a mission is bad writing. It's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that she like makes a really big deal of showing off her hair in the middle of a mission is also weird. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the the guy's treatment of her is over the top and bad. Although it's a little, it's actually a little bit less inappropriate because she is kind of goofing off. <laughs> so I don't so, know. So one of the tropes for Invisible Woman when I was growing up was that she has had a lot of hairstyles. So this mm-hmm. is by the this is by the eighties we're talking when I was reading. Same trope with Wasp, but she's had a lot of costumes, right? That was their right. things. And I wonder if like one is that not only true, but is it partly true that we're aware of that because of scenes like this? Like, <laughs> I mean, how how many times are we going to see a scene like this with Invisible Woman? I don't know. And also, like I said, the recap at the end of the day, we're just back to her normal look, her original her original look, right? I, which I did not notice. But you're totally right. I'm pretty sure that's just straight up how she was looking before. Um, I made a note that uh, I think the feeling we've lost the narrative thread a bit, which we've already talked about. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this. I like this bit where they're crawling over the the canyon or whatever, and and Sue is like, "Hold me, man, I'm frightened," and he's like, "Who isn't?" <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. That made me laugh. Good I really wish that she would stop following Reed's orders and start <sighs> doing things of her own volition. I noticed that too. You're talking page eighteen. Yeah. They have to do that, don't they? They have to make it Reed's idea that she did something cool. Reed told me to make a cushion with my force field. Yeah. Good thing he told you, sis. Yeah, how about I made a cushion with my force field? Right. Because I'm not stupid. Yeah. She's had her force fields for almost half the book now, and uh, she should be able to use them. Maybe she should know more about how her stuff works than he does. Ooh, wouldn't that be an interesting concept? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because if you think about it, even if they're not quote-unquote training... She gets to be in the kitchen, you know, making herself a cup of coffee or fixing herself a snack or whatever, and just like doing stuff with her force field because she wants to try different things and see what she can do. You well, know, and also just, like you can study someone all you want, but the someone is the one actually being someone. So they right. understand themselves better than your stupid gadgets and stuff. Watching somebody do something and doing it yourself are two different experiences. Right. Yeah. We want more ownership, but we, you know. Why do we read these 60s books? We should have started in like 2015 maybe. Would that have been safe? <laughs> probably not. It's probably still not safe. <laughs> and if, I, if I were to think in the box, this is 1965. She grew up in the 50s. Maybe mm-hmm. she just wasn't raised to have a lot of initiative. Maybe it takes a while for her to get used to the idea. But I just, I'm just really ready for her to mature as an adult. They just want Reed to be the leader. But I also feel a little ham-fisted with that like because I think Reed's kind of a crappy person. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's like, I don't really look up to him as this awesome leader. Really? Nope. Reed is not a nice guy. If I need someone to like solve a problem scientifically, I, he's my man, but otherwise I don't put a lot of stock into Reed. So him always being the guy who teaches everybody judo and gets all the right things going. It's just like, eh, not into it. I have one more thing to say about black bull before we go out. Okay. Um, cause there's a point where Medusa starts speaking for, Black Bull does uh-huh. not speak, but I shall be his voice. He wishes no blood. And she starts saying everything he says. Mm-hmm. Now, in the TV show, Black Bolt used a type of sign language. It wasn't ASL. It was an invented language. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, I have a friend who interprets sign for a living, and she was talking about how when TV shows and movies use American Sign Language, they don't always show it. They'll cut it off mid-sentence, they'll have it done partly off-screen, and she finds that annoying and unfair. Because huh. when people are speaking languages... Oh, I see, yeah. ...in TV and movies, if you're a speaker of that language, you can understand what's being said. Right. But to have a visual language, you have to show the visuals for ASL users to be able to understand it. That makes sense. So I really hope that if they ever do the Inhumans again, that they A, use ASL because it's an actual language they could use. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of an invented language, but there's just, there's not enough ASL representation on screen. Um, And that B, they actually show the language, not just, you know, haphazard it. Right. But that does seem to be Medusa's role often is to translate for Black Bolt. Which is fine. That's a good role for her to have. They can Mm -hmm. show Black Bolt on screen actually doing the signs while she's saying it, though. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And Reed could not be more oblivious and wrong on that last panel. On page 19? Mm Mm-hmm. About, like, we should learn, you should learn how to get along with humans? Yeah. Your threats don't cut in the ice. All we wanted is a chance to talk to you, make you realize that you and your people belong in the world of men. There's no reason for all of you to live outside the human race. This is 1965. There's a lot of people who don't like people and humanity. That bubble is definitely maybe obtuse, but I think the one before it is kind of a good point. Like, you could try and hide forever, but eventually someone is going to find you, so maybe you should confront this problem instead of just avoiding it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, he's not... You know what was weird about this issue? I can't... I just... Where is that spot now? I felt like there was some role reversal going on a little bit. Between him. By him and Invisible Woman. And I can't remember where that existed now. Was that with Triton and all that? Like At the beginning? Oh, boy. The, I, should, I shouldn't even the, bring this up if I can't remember. But like... Uh, putting the water in the bubble? No. Like when they're going to leave. And he's just like... I think he's just like... Uh, boy, I can't even remember. I don't know. Somewhere around page seven, I think. Like it seemed like Sue is... What is she's, she's telling him now that they're all gone, we can tend to own affairs. And uh, he's like, no, we need to go... Yeah. Right. Take- that seemed backwards to me. It seems like Sue's the one with the heart who wants to like, who should be the one who wants to go like rescue Triton and, and, or whatever his name is. And Reed should be like, ah, oh, well they're gone and they're their own species and they have their own laws. So they should just do what they want. I can see that. Anyway, um, just a little backwards maybe. Cause usually she's got this heart that just wants to save everybody. Puppy. And then he's like, now be quiet while I take oh, a direction reading on oh, the shot. Oh, there was a lot of that in this. Yeah, oh my gosh, that, I want to smack Reed so much. That's where the hairdressing thing came from, because he was treating her like, just be quiet, I'm the leader, you're just a stupid woman. And she's like, I'll show him that he needs me, I'll change my hair. You yeah. don't love me anymore, why don't you Why don't you draw me like those French girls, or whatever. Because <laughs> every time you pose for that, you turn invisible, I can't draw you. <laughs> Uh, okay, are we done with that? I don't I know. I think we're that, done with that. That one disappointed me, I have to say. Anyway. Let's we'll, spidey we'll it up. See if they, we'll see if they pull it out of the fire next issue. But well, yeah, next the, issue is Galactus, so they better. Oh, wait, is it? How can that be? This one ended on a cliffhanger. Right? The um, the next, And I don't mind saying it because the next issue box says it. It says we're going to wrap up the Inhuman story for now. And what is Galactus. So the wrap-up is that he clicks the button and all of Earth explodes, and they just ignore it. No, no, they're gonna they're gonna wrap up that story. They're gonna they're gonna. Oh gosh, that's horrible. That means Inhumans is just gonna end bad. But okay, we'll see how it goes. 
Amazing Spider-Man 33, the final chapter with the most classic Spider-Man cover of all time. Okay, not really, but one of. This is the uh, one that was on the. This is the one that was in the um, in the Captain America scene. No, 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 the Thor scene. Last, actually, the the tells us this. No, the Strange Tales from last episode and the Fantastic Four we just read and this Spider-Man were all the comics that were on the stands in the Thor scene last episode. Right, at the newsstand, right. Uh, it's called The Final Chapter, possibly one of the most thoroughly satisfying Spider-Man sagas you have ever thrilled to. Script and editing Stanley, plot and illustration Steve Ditko, bordering and lettering Artie Simek, reading and enjoying the old web spinner, you. Now, there's a lot of caption, but I think I will read it because this is kind of an involved story. As Peter Parker's aunt, May, lies dying in the hospital, victim of the effects of radioactivity in her bloodstream, a sympathetic Dr. Connors waits for Spider-Man to bring the ISO 36 to him, or ISO 36, for it is the only serum which might save Peter's aunt. But the stolen serum is in the possession of Dr. Octopus, whose masked henchmen wait outside a steel door as Spidey and Doc Ock battle within. And none suspect that a sudden leak in the underwater dome of the hidden hideout is growing bigger and bigger, while Spider-Man himself, having beaten his multi-armed foe, is now trapped beneath tons of fallen steel with the precious serum lying just out of reach as the fatal seconds tick by. Boy, I could not have said that better myself. So that was a good little recap there. Yeah, so he's stuck under all this stuff. He can't get up. He's, like, pushing and pushing. He's, like, on it flat on his belly. Um, but then he starts thinking about Aunt May, and then he starts thinking about, you know, how he may dis- he could disappoint Uncle Ben if he doesn't save Aunt May, even though Uncle Ben's not around anymore. Uh, so he starts seeing those floating heads, and then he's like, and I'm Spider-Man, and I've got a lot of strength and a lot of power, and I can do this. And then what really pushes it over is he starts thinking of Betty Brant, and then he hulks out, and he gets really buff and he pushes it and pushes it and finally like gets it to where he can like get his feet underneath him and the water is like soaking down on him and he's still being crushed by this thing but he's got it like on his shoulders now and then he finally with one big uh squat level heave just pushes it off himself um it hurts his leg though uh he doesn't think anything's broken but he did something to pull his leg doing that stunt and he's completely exhausted he picks up the uh, ISO stuff and sort of stumbles his way. But he's so tired, like, when the roof finally cracks open enough to flush in all this water or whoosh in, as it says on the thingy, all this water. He's actually kind of like, you know what? I'll just let the water take me out of this place because I'm so tired. This will give me a chance to rest a little bit. And outside of, like, the occasional spider agility thing of not getting slammed into a wall he sort of just lets the water like carry him out to the exit because water always finds a way out right um he gets attacked by some purple guys in scuba gear but he easily just pulls their hoses and they suffocate and die then he pull he gets out of the water and there's all those 20 guys that were uh threatened earlier and they're like we're gonna take you out spider-man and he's so tired that he also does the same thing Doctor Strange did. Uh, he just lets them beat on him for a while. But he's so powerful that like them beating on him is less strenuous than him having to fight back. So he's like actually resting up. Like he's taking all these punches, but that's helping him rest up essentially. 
Um, and then eventually he's like, okay, I've had enough of this because it's actually starting to hurt. And he just wildly swings and he thinks about his dying aunt and he thinks about his Uncle Ben and he cannot give up and he cannot lose. And then he looks up and realizes that he's knocked everybody out. He was just so out of it and like basically fighting on instinct that he knocks them all out. He drags his sorry butt out of the headquarters. He makes it to Doc Connors' lab. Here's the ISO stuff. Uh, while Doc Connors is working on that, he takes a little bit of his own blood, and then he uses that to test to see if it cures the radioactivity in it. Doc Connors is like, what was that blood? He's like, never you mind, mister. Anyway, all's well that uh, ends well because it works. He asks Doc Connors to call the hospital ahead of him and tell them that to let Spider-Man go in there and work on a random patient. And since Doc Connors is, uh, you know, infamous or whatever, they let him. Doc, So Spider-Man shows up at the hospital. He gives over the antidote. They go to work on Aunt May. They're like, oh, well, no, in four hours or two hours. And Spider-Man's like, two hours? I can't pace around sad for two hours. I got to do something to pre- preoccupy my brain. So he goes back to the place he was just at, and he sets up some cameras, and then he calls Foswell and has Foswell come out and call the police and make it seem like Foswell found the the uh, bad guys all knocked out. And he takes a bunch of pictures of that. All the bad guys get arrested. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson's super excited about that, but he wants pictures. So Peter goes to the Daily Bugle to sell the pictures. He's confronted by Betty, who finds him completely beat up because, you know, he got punched a lot. So he's got Band-Aids on and a fat lip and a black eye. And a limp from the leg injury. And she's like, oh, my God. And she has, like, this weird, like, uh, uh, PSTD, P- post-traumatic PTSD. stress. PTSD moment about her brother. Like, oh, my gosh, he died horribly, too, from violence. And I can't be around anybody that's violent. And she runs away with, like, her hand over her face. And he's like, yep, I made the right decision there. Uh, in breaking up with her, I mean. So then he goes to J. Jonah Jameson and he says, you want these photos? You have to pay 100 bucks each. And J.J. Jameson's like kind of balked at how like, you know, uh, 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 um, confident he is all of a sudden about what he's worth. Even though in his thought balloon, J.J. Jameson's also is like, I would have paid him double. So he doesn't really know how much he's worth. But that's okay. He does pay him 100 bucks a piece. That pays for Aunt May's hospital bill. Goes back to the hospital. Finds out she's fine. She reaches out, holds his hand, says Peter, and then takes a nap. And he's like, yay, this is the best day of my life. All's well that ends well. He goes back home. The doctor wonders what Spider-Man had to do with all this. It's too bad, like, uh, you know, there aren't more young men like that Peter Parker or that Spider-Man or something like that. And next issue, Craven the Hunter. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Very cool. So, this is the end. What do you think? I like the end. I don't know about the Doc Octopus part. I don't know about all the muddled business with that burglar who was supposed to maybe be the bad guys leaders and not and the purple men and stealing radioactivity for radioactivity's sake but mm-hmm. the ending was but the ending was pretty awesome this has one of the most memorable moments in spider-man's career especially absolutely. his early career absolutely even i've known about this and i've never read this before but you just see this all the time mm-hmm yeah, in, in more modern comics there are a lot of homages to this and the storytelling so much so that the editors put a kibosh on it in 2007 when they were oh, getting wow. ready to move into the brand new day era. They're like, okay, these are the rules for the brand new day storytelling era. One of which is stop 
Amazing Spider-Man 33A. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but I also mean like I think I've seen this in like when I've read books about the history of Marvel or Spider-Man. Like they always have to reference this stuff. And of course, this scene is somewhat done in Homecoming, the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really well, I think, although I have read people complain about that moment. But I I thought it was really good. Um, I liked it. But yeah, it's really good in the comics. Um, I... This is going to sound like a knock. It's not a knock. It's just I thought it was interesting of reading these particulars together. That previous issue's last page summed everything up. And this issue's first page sums everything up very uh-huh. similarly with a bunch of little panels. So it kind of felt like a redo of the previous page. It did. But at the same time, we read these like one Spider-Man every 16 months. So I kind of appreciated just getting, yeah. a, quick re- getting a quick recap of what the heck's going on and why he's here. Even though I kind of remembered. But. And is that Stan Lee actually being proud of a Steve Ditko story in the credits there? It seems like he's just giving him props. <laughs> and without making it an excuse, like, you know, if you hate this, it's it's Steve Ditko's fault. Right. He just says it's awesome. And it was. And Steve Ditko gets plot credit. I think that was a specific request that he start being given plot credits. Mm-hmm. Because he knew that he was coming up with all the stories. And Stan Lee was literally just writing, writing words for everybody to say. I would say so far, like this scene is probably maybe this is the best Ditko scene that Ditko has done on our Ditko show. Maybe I could the, be wrong, um, but this scene is a really good scene. There's a the, and the anatomy is really good. Uh huh. Just like the different positions he's in and conveying because the thing about especially Ditko Spider Man, Spider Man in general, but they've sort of bent the rules more recently. But Stephen Ditko's Spider Man does not emote. In right. his face. Right. So his body language has to carry that. Mm-hmm. And it does. But even and, that's hard because his body is pinned under all this rubble and he can only move it so much. Right. So you first. got his head orientation, his shoulders uh-huh. and arms and hands. And yet through that, he's able to convey uh, yeah. despair, uh, upset, exhaustion, determination. Struggle. So much struggle. Yeah. 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 It's really good. I think this might be like, just the pinnacle of his storytelling right here so far, this moment. He The little floating heads of Aunt May, mm-hmm. at first glance, it looks like the exact same Aunt May three times. Uh-huh. It's not. He redrew it, but that's just like him redrawing the same picture three times and, you know, making it look like it's the same thing. And we get an Uncle Ben, which is rarer than I expected in early Uncle Spider-Man Uncle Ben. Stories. He doesn't talk about that much. Imagine that. Spider-Man doesn't refer to Uncle Ben very often. Right. That's crazy. And not only does he refer to him, but we get a floating head of Uncle Ben. So now we see him again, maybe for the first time since we've seen him initially with the wheat cakes. And there's even there's even a, an editor's note. If you have forgotten what an Uncle Ben is, it's right. from the momentous tale of Spidey's origin. <laughs> right. But yeah, oh. so good. Just a great scene. Okay. So we get to him trying to get away. And being caught in the flood, and then he runs into the purple guys. Mm-hmm. And we talked about last episode with Doctor Strange pulling a rope-a-dope. Right. And I was reading this, and I was thinking, letting yourself getting hit, letting yourself get hit until your strength comes back, I feel like that doesn't make any sense. Well, the rope-a-dope was more, my stamina is better than your stamina. Okay. As far as strategy. So maybe you're stronger than me. But if I can just put my guard up and get back into these ropes and let you hammer and hammer and hammer away at me, you're going to get all tired because you're a big, 
you know, big honking Peluga who, who doesn't have any cardio. And then when we get to the final rounds, yeah, you hit me a lot, but I've also had my guard up and I'm just going to wail on you now because I have all my strength still or a lot more of my strength still. And you're so tired, you can't even defend yourself anymore. Okay. So, so see like Rocky, I think it's Rocky 2. They ripped that off. Same idea. So, right, so that's not quite what's going on here then. So that is not what's going on here. That was more of a Doctor Strange thing. This is like Spider-Man saying these regular humans can't really hurt me that much. And I'm so tired, I'm just going to not fight back right now because I need some arm strength. <laughs> that's so how I, I read it. I don't know. No, that, that's, that, that's how it plays. But I had an alternative thought. Okay. What if the script instead were more – going to keep the art the same. The script were more about how he's having a hard time corralling himself to fight mm. all of them. Yeah. Like he's literally exhausted and being overwhelmed. Right. But then on the next page – when he starts seeing Aunt May and starts thinking about saving Aunt May, that's when he finds his inner reserves and is able to start fighting. And then he suddenly fights them all off and doesn't even realize what he was doing. That does seem to play out more like how the imagery is because he says he's not going to fight back, but it looks like he's fighting back. Yeah. It looks like he's getting hit and hit and hit and hit <clears throat> until he, the bottom of page 10. But his arms are, even when he's talking about how he's not going to fight back, he's just going to rest. His arms are swinging. Yeah. So I feel like the dialogue just doesn't quite gel with what's really going on. I feel like more is what the dialogue should have been is, oh, my God, these guys are kicking my butt and I'm going to die. And then he's like, no, no, I can't do that. And then he goes crazy with the stars around his eyes and kind of mm -hmm. fights with his eyes closed and wakes up and realizes he won. That would have been right. maybe cooler. Being driven by but, Aunt May. Yes. But that middle panel on page 11 is pretty boss. I oh, like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, they're, where they're, they're all just unconscious and laying on the ground, and he's like, oh, I won. That's cool. <laughs> he's hurting, though, man. Oof. Yeah. He does manage to get to Doc Ock. He even takes some of his own blood, which, you know, if you're tired, that's not a good thing to do. Well, he has to because the whole point is to cure the disease that he gave her, right? No, no, no. no. It's right. It's just like, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. you're already exhausted. Now you're taking yeah. some of your blood out. That's going to be even worse. Yeah. Now, I love this Doc Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. As you say, I love that Doc Connors is not the lizard in this entire story. It's great. Right? He's just, he's just a supporting character. It's cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. I want more of that. I want more Doc Connors in his life just for fun. Now, whenever they use the serum on mm -hmm. Spider-Man's blood, mm -hmm. Doc Connors says it works. The deterioration of the blood was instantly checked when the serum was applied. That implies that Peter's blood is deteriorating. Oh, I also wondered if that implied that they could cure his Spider-Man-ness with this stuff. Oh, that but is I, another good point. But I don't know if that's what they meant or not. Like, if it cures the radioactivity that's killing Aunt May, does that mean it gets rid of his powers, too, if he drank it or whatever? It could. We'll have to ask the Beast and Rogue. I don't think he wants to be cured. I mean, why would he? He's fine, unless he is deteriorating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He didn't seem to care about that, and they don't go with it. So, so um... When he gets to the hospital, mm -hmm. one of the doctors is black, which uh, is great. Yes, but On gray. page 14. Gray. Yeah, great. Yeah. But then I was thinking, okay, being a black physician at a hospital is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how historically accurate that was. Mm -hmm. So I, started, I did a little bit of looking, and this is just me with a little bit of research. I welcome those who know more to chime in. Um the American Medical Association, the AMA that's, you know, certifies physicians, mm -hmm. was still actively blocking black physicians from receiving credentials. Wow. 
and they would continue doing so until 1968. And then you got to wonder, the guys who did get a license, were they limited to only treating other black people? Or were they allowed to mix it up? Only allowed to work in certain institutions, you know? Yeah. There is an alternative accrediting institution called the National Medical Association. Mm-hmm. It's going to meet the serve the needs of physicians regardless of race. But I honestly just don't know how those doctors were accepted by the profession, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Do, they, do they have to work somewhere or work with particular patients? I don't know, in 1965. Um, but if nothing else, I can think we can see this as the creators making a statement about how the world should be, even yeah. if it's not how the world actually is. You've also been writing Star Trek books lately, so you probably got that on the brain. Oh, with the, the making the world the way it should be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, uh, it's my, probably true, though. My son and I have been, re- have been watching the original series. Uh-huh. And we're halfway through the first season, which is when the first James Blish novelization book came out. That's right. So I'm, re- I'm reading that. I got to uh, Star Trek 1 and then Mission to Hiroshima and then Star Trek 2. And yes. then I think I was done. But well, it was Trek- good. Yeah, Star Trek 2 is a ways down the road. But um, we just finished watching Shore Leave. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that was Dr. McCoy dies, and I wouldn't tell Keenan if he was okay or not. Oh, gosh. And then, and then Angela dies, the woman who just tried to get married the previous episode, and now she's uh-huh. flirting with uh, Rodriguez. Um, she dies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so things have kind of taken a serious twist. He's like... Well, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, the search for it, McCoy. Right? McCoy comes out with a gal on each arm to yeah. the dismay of Yeoman Barrows yeah. at the end of the episode. So everything's okay. But yeah, it was, it was a fun moment. Not to like make this all about Star Trek, although we do all the time. But those, I like those. I want to read more of them. Those novelizations. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. But I think legitimately sometimes they fixed episode quirks for me. Or, which is odd. Or didn't make the weird choices that the camera made. Because he's basing them on scripts. Right, exactly. But I feel Uh, like that means the original script was probably in some way better. And then it got transformed Mm -hmm. into a TV episode that had weird choices. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading them. I like Blish. Um, I like his... uh, He he does every single episode except for the two Mud episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm even more looking forward to the Alan Dean Foster animated series adaptations oh yes the star trek logs or something yeah right? i've heard so many good things about those yeah i've never read a single one yeah i know i guess man we should be doing a star trek podcast what are we thinking well, that, that's what this started out as remember right doctor who and star trek yeah we could do so everybody next episode read star trek one oh just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding it's just called star trek not star trek one but anyway um Okay, so remember how in the past Peter threw out photos because he figured Foswell would notice that Peter wasn't at the scene of the event to take mm-hmm. pictures? Mm-hmm. He and now forgot he calls Foswell to the scene of the event and takes Whoops. pictures. Yep. Yeah, I guess he doesn't care anymore. I guess. Well, he's he's hurting, and he needs money. He's hurting. That's a great panel on 17, though, of Betty Brant going crazy. It is fantastic, Betty Brant crazy. Yeah. It's a great panel of that. So is this basically like her running away pretty much the last of this, maybe? Because <laughs> he's just pretty – Peter seems pretty resigned and unconcerned about her reaction. Like, I don't yep, remember exactly up. when it comes to a complete halt, but we've got to be close to it. It must be because he doesn't even like care that she's crying and running away. He's just like, yeah, she totally doesn't want need to be with me. 
Yeah. I'm a horrible person. See you later, Betty. And she leaves the book at some point, And when she comes back, he's totally over her. But I just don't know when she leaves. So let's see. Peter made at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars because he sold each photo for a hundred, and he's holding nine. Nice. And then he's like thinking this will pay for her hospital bills. So I guess five days in a hospital in a coma in 1965 cost nine hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. Next <laughs> issue is Betty Brant's last issue for a short while. Okay. So that's it. He kicks her to the curb, I guess, or she mm. quits. She gets married. It's certainly Ditko's last Betty Brandt. Aww. Um, Betty's words are a little bit melodramatic on this page. Mm-hmm. But the idea is one I'm here for. Mm-hmm. The fact that she can't bring herself to commit to Peter after having lost her lover, Bennett. I mean, brother, mm-hmm. Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she said that before, but I do like that, like, actually visually seeing him subjected to violence and really she brings is, that home for her. Like, she oh, is she is actually living a dangerous life. Yeah, she's triggered. Not often you see Peter Parker beat up either, so kind of interesting. Um, page 19. Mm-hmm. Remember that time you went to the doctor and he gave you alcohol to drink? Here, drink this, son. It'll relax you a bit. And remember, get some rest as soon as possible. Remember that time you went to the doctor? You don't even do that anymore. I, I was just scheduling a phone or a video conference. <laughs> earlier this week because we can't go to the doctor anymore no more doctors yeah, yeah. i i you know when you get to a certain age you're supposed to start having annual physicals if you haven't done it already uh-huh. and i have i haven't started that yet i'm 40 years old turning 41 very shortly and i mm-hmm. haven't had my okay tell me how sick i am right. annual checkup yet mm-hmm. um so i need and to now, start doing that no you can't you stay in home I, yeah stay i can't home. yet <laughs> you're okay you're fine as long as you don't have a fever i don't have a fever and if they tell me i have cancer i'm just going to schedule a um, euthanasia date. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Depends on the cancer. It depends on the cancer, but not doing that. No. Oh, sounds horrible. Okay. We only have five issues of Ditko left at this point. Oh, my gosh. It's a little crazy. I'm excited about uh, some Ramita, though, because that's kind of my, my favorite. But yeah. I, do, I do like me the Ditko. And this issue in particular was like, gosh dang, this Ditko is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, to my mind, there's one more highlight issue because mm-hmm. there are some particular story developments that happen in it. But other than that, I think the four of the next five are pretty forgettable. We'll see if you feel differently. But do you agree okay. that like 25, we had the Jonah robot, we had um, Liz and Betty meeting each other on the road to Peter's house and they married Jane. And then 26 and 27 was the Green Goblin and the Crime Master. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of been a little blah. It has been a little blah. Until this. Until this. Until this. this. And even I would say this overall story has been blah other than this finale. Right. So, yeah. So that that's what I meant when I said back at 25 that like from, and I should have said it at 27, but you know, there's a, there's a, there's a point. And after that, Ditko's kind of throwaway. He's probably just not, his heart's probably losing interest, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I agree. Because he doesn't get fired. He leaves. Yes, right? he quits. Yes, he quits. He absolutely quits. He so. brings in his pages for a book and says, I'm done. Yes. So they were happy with him. I mean, yeah. St- Stan Lee and Steve Ditko were not friends. They were not on speaking terms. But as far as professionally, yes, they were They were happy to have him continue working at Marvel. Right. Yeah, that video I, was, I think I talked about last time where, where Stan Lee is interviewing uh, John Romita Sr. Um, John talks about how 
he was drawing like Ditko because everybody assumed Ditko would come back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I don't want to just come in with a whole different style and you know jar things up, especially if Ditko's going to come back in. He could just seamlessly insert himself back in when he's ready. And then that never happened. So it was interesting to think that like everybody just assumed that there's no way Ditko would walk away from Spider-Man. And then he, and he did. And then he did. Yep. That's it, though. Is that the that month? That is it. November is over. Dude, we only oh have God. one month of 1965 <laughs> How left. How did that happen? I cannot believe this. It seriously seems too fast. Did we skip months on accident? It's a little crazy. Know. It's very crazy. Because 1964 was the longest year ever. And this is so fast. Weird. I don't even know why. Like, it's taking the same amount of time, maybe yeah. even longer. Yeah. But it feels like it's flown by. Maybe the stories are better. I think it's just our overall recording pacing that nobody's privy to. Maybe that's what it is. Like mm-hmm. 64, we had a lot of interruptions or something. We, we did know. have a lot of interruptions. Yeah. But anyway, okay, best and worst of November 1965. Or at least most and least enjoyed. I, right. It's all there subjective. I mean, I, I have not regretted anything we've read on the show. So it's never like bad. But Right. You're right. Sometimes it's more of a payoff than other times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall I go down the 10, yes. count them 10 comics? Rawhide Kid number 50. 10 comics, but 12 stories. 13 oh. if you can't tell of Asgard. Okay. So we have The X-Men, 16, The Supreme Sacrifice with the end of the Sentinel Saga with the Master Mold. We have Daredevil 12, Kazar Lives Again, Sightless in a Savage Land. We have the Journey into Mystery, 124, Enter Hercules, but only with his consent, the glory and the grandeur, also the whole um, reveal that he's uh, Thor to Jane Foster. We have Tales to Astonish, 76, Uneasy Hangs the Head, finally wrapping up the quest and Namor's uh, establishment of his monarchy, and then in the backup, Hulk is fighting in the future and turns out he's fighting against the executioner's armies. Hmm. Sergeant Fury 26, Dum Dum does it the hard way where they go to rescue Dum Dum, but it turns out he doesn't really need it. Although he kind of does. Um, Strange Tales 141 led with Operation Brain Blast, where we find out Mentallo and uh, the ESP division of um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a thing, followed by... Dormammu and Doctor Strange fighting until Doctor Strange fights better. Then we have Tales of Suspense, Iron Man and Captain America, The Final Sleep. First, we have Iron Man fighting the Freak because Happy Hogan gets transformed. And then we have Captain America versus the final combination of three Voltron sleepers. The Avengers 24 from the Ashes of Defeat, the second half of the Kang story. <sighs> Fantastic 447. <laughs> wow. We did all this? Crazy. But where the hidden land with the uh, final arrival of the Great Refuge and the Inhumans and all of their glory. And it's been so long since we talked about it. Amazing Spider-Man 33, the final chapter of the Master Planner saga, even though there was no Master Planner in sight. Oh, that's a good point. Wow. Dr. Octopus totally got away. He just gets away and they don't even really talk about it. I mean, they kind of did. Wow. That's a weird, uh, no even follow-up of him like rubbing his hands together saying I got away or anything. Or his tentacles. That was a weird reveal though. Whatever. He was kind of not even needed. Okay. You know what's weird? Is this kind of difficult because they're all sort of just in the middle to me this month in a way. Okay. Mm. Uh, Best is Spider-Man. Let's just 
say that. It's been a while since I've had to say that, but mm-hmm. it is. It is. Like, no way. None of the others compare. So, best is Spider-Man. I'm not sure what the worst is, though. I'm going to say Fantastic Four, not necessarily because it's the worst, but it's the most disappointing. Like, I was kind of bummed about it because it's just kind of confusing and they seem like they're just making shit up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we've had this great stretch of awesome Fantastic Four with the Frightful Four story arcs and stuff. And now it's just like the Inhumans are just not doing it for me. And this story was worse and made it more confusing. Yeah, I can so see that. even though I'm not saying it's like worse than, I don't know. Most of the other stories, I expect them to be okay. But Fantastic Four, I've been like, my bar, the bar has been raised and they failed. There were several stories this month that were pretty entertaining but had logic fails. Uh-huh. Um, like Daredevil, why was that guy going after Skull Island if he was really <laughs> trying to find his brother? Right, right, right. Um, why is the whole demon story going on? Why is Hercules coming to Earth when really the whole point of that issue was to reveal Jane Foster that he is Thor? Yeah. Um, so they're, they're – but at the same time, in the story, I was having a good time with the Fantastic Four issue. Same qualms you had, but I had a good time reading it. Mm. Um, the two that I am looking at as being the least enjoyed for me mm-hmm. are the Hulk and Doctor Strange. And those are both yeah. because mm-hmm. they're just – there's there's nothing to grab onto in those two But that's two just how they've been though. So That is just know. how they've been. I'm going yeah. to choose Doctor Strange though yeah, because I expected more – out of the mm. Dormammu conclusion than him doing a handcuff pincher trick in a, in a physical fight. <laughs> um, yes. The Hulk rampaging through the future. You know what? Fine. It's not that great, but it's kind of the Hulk. Yeah. It's just fighting. It's cool. Honestly, yeah. for the next hundred issues, I think him rampaging is going to be like 80%. And right. we're going to be like looking for that occasional character moment. Yeah. And at least we got the executioner to pop his head out. That was kind of surprising. Yeah, that was a neat little twist at the end. I remember really going, oh, the first time I read that. You know, another um, argument is that X-Men, uh, I forgot, had absolutely zero agency on getting themselves out of the Sentinel issue, too. <laughs> but yeah. I forgot about that. That was kind of lame also. That is kind of lame. There's a lot of good action along the way. But yeah, they don't really do a whole lot to save themselves. Uh, right. Or at least they do, they do some stuff to save themselves, but they don't do a lot to beat the Sentinels. No, they had really little to do with it. Um, so I'm going to say Doctor Strange is my least enjoyed. Okay. And um, if you don't say Spider Man, s- that's crazy. No, no, I, I, I still contend that the other Steve Ditko trilogy is the superior story. Hands but down. But this issue of Master Planner is what makes the Master Planner trilogy. And it has great Spider Man and it has great Peter at mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we're kind of putting the kibosh on the whole thing with her, him and Betty. I don't remember what happens with Betty next issue as far as between them two and how she leaves, but this is basically closing the coffin on them. I would say this final chapter is the only reason this trilogy is a contender as best of anything. I would agree. Yeah, because the other two were pretty clunkers to me. Well, it's kind of like, I don't know if you if you agree this. This is kind of a subjective opinion. You know Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek D Space Nine? Uh-huh. Star Trek The Next Generation has some of the best moments of Star Trek in it. Yes. Like, in all of Star Trek, the best moments are in the Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. However, as an entire beast, I like Deep Space Nine more. Uh-huh. I think that it has a, a, a more to say and more to do as a drama, a television drama. Mm-hmm. So, 
this that that scene in 33 may be superior to anything else Ditko did. Mm-hmm. But overall, I like the Spider the Spider Man Quits trilogy more. Well, I agree with you about the Spider Man part. Yes. <laughs> no, the analogies sound also. I totally yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, I yeah, understand yeah. what you're saying. Um, but yeah, so that is the end of November. We will be back next episode to talk about the beginning of December 1965. Also, um, we need to do a mailbag episode. Oh, we definitely need to do that. So that, that we might be doing that. You won't know that because you've already heard it by now if, if we've done it. <laughs> That's right. But we, uh, you should, before coming back to your podcatcher next week, you should read the X-Men 17, Daredevil 13, Journey into Mystery 125, the final issue, and Tales to Astonish 77. That's really the last journey in the mystery? Mm-hmm. And then it becomes Thor number 126? Yep. Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Isn't that crazy? That is way cool. I didn't and see if, that coming. If I remember right, there is actually one element of Thor's mythos that's been missing this entire time that happens in Thor 126, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so I yeah, read those four, and uh, if they just, like... I don't know if somebody just randomly captured the listener and put this podcast in their ears and they're like, Hey, this torture wasn't bad. I want more of this. <laughs> yeah. How can they find how, us? How did this person get this? Well, you go to your own podcast uh, app that you like and you type in make ours Marvel and we should show up. If that doesn't work or you can't figure that out, go to make We have the links to all the different kinds of uh, podcast playing things like, you know, iTunes and Google and I don't know what else, Stitcher, stuff like that. Um, And it also has links to our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram. And there's a handy contact form if you want to send us a message to tell us your thoughts on what you've listened to or give us some answers that we had questions on. That would be great too. I love answers. Uh, Or you could write directly to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. You should follow us on Twitter because we love hearing from listeners. Uh, so go please find Mike at Kaiser the Great on Twitter and myself at John Reads Comics with no H in John Reads Comics. Um, I can also be followed by other podcasts that I do, All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast at All the Pouches and Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK Podcast. Those are both going strong. And um, well, I guess I guess that's it. That's it. All right. That was a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. But, you know, it was a good episode. Yeah, it was good. So, until the Red Skull wakes up more sleepers, make ours marvel. marvel.